Good morning. We will be reading from Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he, shall fall, or, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he had said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here this morning and sitting under the banner of your truth, knowing that as we surrender and humble ourselves to your word, God, that you would convict us strengthen us and encourage us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through Pastor Tim as he preaches this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If I didn't meet you on the way in, I'd love to do so on the way out. I'll be in the back right after the service. If you are not new, welcome back. Uh, We are continuing this Broken People, Big God series looking at just four people and how God used them in really significant ways, that we have a big God that works through broken people. We get to experience that today. And I don't know about you, but as I was growing up, and even if you didn't grow up in the church, maybe you've heard of these guys, um, but as I grew up, I would hear about these guys and I would hear about them as heroes of the faith, that we should be more like. And so we'd watch them in VeggieTales or on flannel graphs whatever era you grew up in, and we would think, oh, you should be more like David, you should be more like these different guys, Abraham, Moses, and, and look at their characteristics that were honorable, and we should strive to, to do those things, and, and I don't know if, if you grew up in a similar way, but, but that's kind of how I saw these guys. Well, the only problem with that is the Bible, If you actually read the Bible, you read about these guys and you read their stories and you read the details of their lives, they do incredibly chaotic things to bring destruction upon themselves and upon others. I mean, it could be a TMZ episode. I mean, some of these guys, the things they do, the things that are done to them, I mean, it's chaos. And so if you actually read their stories, you realize pretty quickly these are broken people, but that God is big. That these people are incredibly flawed, but God is immeasurably faithful. And that's the whole story of the Bible. That the only perfect person Jesus uses, the only hero of the faith, is Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, we're going to point to him later on in our time together. But we're going to set it up a little bit by looking at the life of Samson. And here's the goal this morning. Here's the goal of this series 
is that we don't want to elevate these guys as legends, but we also don't want to bash them as lame, because we can also do that, right? What we want to do is learn. We want to learn from their life, specifically how God uses them and how God can use you and me. Whether you've been in church, you've probably heard of Samson, uh, maybe growing up, maybe even just from afar, you've heard of him, maybe, uh, and thought of images in your mind as you hear that name Samson. Maybe even right now, for some of you, you think of images. Maybe some of you think of great strength. And so Samson to you is like an action figure. I was showing that to my son yesterday, and he said, what comes with it? Like, what kind of accessories? Samson would make a good action figure. Some of you maybe don't think of that, but maybe you think of long hair. Like John Stamos in his prime. Maybe that's the image that comes to your mind when you think of Samson. But yet some of you, you think of someone else. You think of our Samson. That's that's one of our worship leaders. And so I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about Samson. But but we're going to look at the actual story of Samson in the Bible. Uh, which is found in the Old Testament book of Judges. Brad just read it. We're going to hit several parts of his story. But just in case you need a refresher on the timeline or you're not familiar, here's where Samson is in the story of God. So last week we had Abraham. That's the beginning of the Israelites. God's beginning to form a nation through Abraham. You go on to have Isaac, Jacob. You have guys like Joshua. And then much later in the story you have kings like Saul, David, and Solomon. And so Samson is right in the middle of all that. So you have Joshua over here. Much later you have the kings over here. Samson's right in the middle of that. The book of Judges is right in the middle of that. And Samson is a judge. And when you think about the word judge, don't think of a judge in a courtroom today. It was a little bit different back then. Judges in that day would rule over specifically like a portion of the country and they were military primarily in nature. And so Samson was that. That was his role. And as we read the beginning of his story and the foretelling of his birth, we're going to hit just some pieces of his story, but it's definitely going to be a flyover, right? It's four chapters, Judges 13 through 16. And so I want to make a deal with you today, and we're going to come back to this in a few moments, is I want you to go read those four chapters. Monday through Friday, there's five days in the week. You have one day you can take off. And the other four days, I want you to read those four chapters in its entirety. Listen, if you think the Bible is boring... You will change your mind after you read the story of Samson. You will be amazed that God put this stuff in the Bible. And so I want you to read it. We good? We're going to do that? Yeah? Okay. Glad glad we're on the same page with that. Uh, So go read Judges 13 through 16. Let's look at the beginning, chapter 13, verse 1. The first thing we see is that the people of Israel have rebelled against God. It says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord allows their enemy, the Philistines, to rule over them. Now the Philistines you'll see pop up in different parts of the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, but they're throughout this story. The women, the three women that Samson is going to be with are Philistine women. And so we need to know a little bit about who these guys are. The first thing that we see over and over about the Philistines is that they were known for their worship of other gods. Uh, They were a common enemy of Israel who served the one true God. They were an aggressive, militant people. One thing I came across that was interesting is in this day, they would monopolize iron production so they could use it to build superior weapons to defeat their enemies. 
And they would do really cruel things when they, captive, when they held their enemies captive. I wanted to give you some of that information, but you can just go read it on your own because it's pretty gruesome. And so if you think, listen, if you think we have problems in our country today, the Israelites had it way, way worse. That God allows this evil, cruel people, this militant, aggressive people to rule over them, and it's a consequence of their sin. And look at verse 1 again with me. You see this word, again. That's a key word. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what you notice with the Israelites is this is a pattern. This is a pattern. This isn't something new for them. Uh, If you go back and read even just the story of Judges, you see over and over this pattern. And the pattern basically goes like this. The Israelites follow. The Israelites follow God. But then eventually they drift. And their hearts are drawn to other gods. And so they follow, then they drift, and then when they do that, they experience pain. But then God, in his grace, brings rescue. In this case, he raises up a judge to begin to save the Israelites. And that's where we are at the beginning of Judges 13. God is raising up a judge. It's Samson to help rescue these people. Look at verse 2. We're introduced to a man named Manoah and his wife who is barren and can't have kids. Uh, But in verse 3 through 4, an angel of God shows up and says, despite the fact that that medically you're not supposed to have kids, despite the fact that you've tried and you haven't had kids yet, I'm going to bring a miracle and you are going to have a son. And listen, this happens today. Some of you are moms and you've been told that you could never have kids, that medically it was impossible. And now God has blessed you with like three of them, right? Or God's working through adoption. So maybe he didn't send an angel to you, but God is blessing you and God's working through other avenues to bring about a child. And he's doing that through this family. And he's doing that not just through this family, but through a nation to bring rescue as they're in this pattern of sin. So that's where we are in the story. And as we look at that, I don't want you to miss the grace of God in this. There's a ton of grace in just these couple verses so you just, you realize the Bible is, is big and vast and people talk about it all the time and maybe as you read it, sometimes it's difficult to understand and so we try to categorize the Bible, we try to put it in a box. Some people say they try to palm the Bible like a basketball, right? And so when we do that, we say things like, you know, the Old Testament was law and the New Testament was grace. The Old Testament was wrath and the New Testament is love. Have you heard this before? And so when we do that, sometimes we miss that God is a God of grace throughout the Bible. And we see that in this specific scenario. Notice what's happening here. Israel is in the midst of sin, in the midst of evil, again, right? In the previous chapters, they had turned to other gods. And yet, in their rebellion, God begins to bring about rescue. He does it through this family. And notice something specific. As you look at the text, they don't even ask for it. Nobody cries out for deliverance. At other times they do. But in this specific case, nobody even asked for it. It says they were in the midst of this evil, in the midst of these consequences, and God shows up. And in his grace, he begins to bless this family, and then through this family, he will bless this nation. Do you see it? That God is a God of grace in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. That God is a God of grace today. That even in the midst of your sin, even if you don't ask for help, God is coming after you. God is pursuing you to bless you and change you and change others through you. Do you see the grace of God even in just 
these two verses, and Judges. Don't miss that. We serve a God who is incredibly gracious with us, and he's incredibly gracious with them. He starts this process of rescue through this family. He gives a specific call on Samson's life before he's even born. The wife hears it from the angel, and then in verse 6 and 7, she goes on to explain it and recount it to her husband. Uh, But we see primarily this call is in verse 5, so look at verse 5 with me. It says this, "No, No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So when you see that Nazarite to God, do you see that? That phrase, that, that's referring to the Nazarite vow. If you want to read more about this, you can go to Numbers chapter 6. Uh, this was a vow that Israelites would take at certain times. It's kind of like fasting, uh, if you're familiar with that. Uh, so they would take it at certain times, and there was three primary components with this. Uh, one is you weren't supposed to touch anything that was dead of any kind. Two you weren't supposed to drink of the vine, so you weren't supposed to drink alcohol. And then three, you weren't supposed to cut your hair. And so most Israelites would do this for a time to focus on God. Samson gets this call on his life. Remember, he's not even born yet. This is the call on his whole life. His whole life will be dedicated to the Nazarite vow that God has called him into this specific life. And then we see his birth in chapter 13, verse 24. It says, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And what we see later is that the Lord blesses him with a gift of strength, the gift of strength. You see a great example in Judges 14, verse 6. Look at that verse. Judges 14, 6, it says, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. And so a lion comes upon Samson. God's spirit rushes him. He's gifted with his strength, and he tears apart the lion with his bare hands. It's like Braveheart, right? It's like any movie you've ever seen. It's, it's, it's that. This Samson is a strong guy. So the action figure that you're thinking of, I don't know if you look like that, but you want to be thinking of a strong guy. God gifted him with enormous physical strength, so much so that he can tear apart a young lion. And if you, in case you wonder what that's like, he tells us a little bit what it can be like and compares it to like tearing a young goat, which I'm sure all of you can relate to. <laughs> because all of you have, have done that at one point in time or the other. So you're having trouble, like, what's it like to tear apart a young lion? Well, you know how when you tear a young goat? It's like that, right? That's really helpful. But I think for them in that day, maybe it was. Maybe this was a part of their culture. They would tear young goats. I don't know. But that's what Samson does. He's incredibly strong. And the reality is, is some of you have been blessed with similar gifts. Now, maybe some of you not physical strength, but maybe it's mental strength or acumen. Maybe it's the arts. Maybe it's architecture. Maybe you see design a certain way. Whatever the case may be for you, God has gifted you with a strength. And we see that in the life of Samson. But what we also see And the life of Samson is that these gifts can be wielded for God's glory or they can be wasted on man's vanity. We see that in our lives today as God gifts you with things. Those can be wielded for the glory of God to make much of him or they can be wasted on our vanity. And so as we look at the life of Samson, listen, we can elevate him as a legend who tore apart lions. 
We can bash him as lame because, listen, there's some material on Samson. Or we can learn from Samson's life. And that's what we're going to do in these next two passages. Judges 14, 7 through 9 should be up on the screen. You can follow along with me. It says this, Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went, and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And so we're Fast-forwarding here, later in Samson's life, Samson has fallen in love with a Philistine girl. Remember, they're the enemy. This isn't Delilah, though. Maybe some of you have seen the movies. This is not Delilah. This is actually the first Philistine girl. There were three in four chapters. Okay? This is Samson. And so this is the first girl that he takes. And the problem with her being a Philistine is that she doesn't share his faith. Right? We talked about that. They worship idols. They worship other gods. And so he's unequally yoked. But look at the text. What does he say? He says, uh, it says, she was right in Samson's eyes. So it wasn't about the lens of God. It wasn't how God saw things. It was about how Samson saw things. And he thought she was right, so he takes her. It says he takes her. He marries her. And then look at verses 8 and 9. The lion he killed, it's been a few days, has some honey in the carcass. And so he sees the honey. He's hungry. And so he takes that too. And so what you see is a pattern with Samson is that he sees something that he wants and he takes it. If it's a woman, he takes it. If it's something to eat, he takes it. And he does not consider the Nazarite vow that he was called into. He does not consider God. He considers Samson. And as we look at it, just in this passage, he's already broken two of the Nazarite vow, two components. Right before this, verse 5, it says he went to a vineyard. Why do you go to a vineyard? To drink. Samson wasn't supposed to drink. And then he touches a dead carcass, and he doesn't even just touch it. He scrapes some honey off of it and has a little feast. So Samson's already broken two parts of this Nazarite vow, but it goes deeper than that. What you see over and over in Samson's life is that he exchanges God's mission for his moment. He exchanges God's mission for his moment. And so in this specific case, in chapter 14, Samson is impulsive. He's driven by his passions. He's lustful. He's hungry, so he just goes and, and takes something. He's, he's out of control. He doesn't have any self-control. He's not thinking about the consequences. He's not thinking about God. He's driven by his own passions, and he's impulsive. And you see what we talked about earlier. Instead of wielding his strength for the glory of God, he wasted on his vanity. He takes what he wants when he wants it. A woman who doesn't share his faith, honey on a deadline, whatever's right in his eyes, he takes it. He embodies Proverbs 25, 28 that says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Can you picture that? That's Samson. He's like a city that's been broken into by an enemy, and it's without walls, and it will lead to his destruction. And so we are at the beginning stages of that. And we're going to see how that continues. And as I, I study this, I just thought, like, who would do that? 
I mean, Samson, do you not realize how God has uniquely gifted you with this strength? You could be the strongest man alive. You can make an, a dent for eternity. And like, who would exchange that for some honey? Like, who does that, Samson? And then I thought more about it, and I said, we all do that, right? We all do that. We all exchange God's mission for our moment. And now, maybe we, we're not under the Nazarite vow, but God's gifted you with something. He's called you to a way of life, to follow Jesus, to follow his ways, to leave your ways to the side. And we often exchange all of that, this opportunity to be a part of eternity for our moment. And so we'll exchange things like the wisdom of God's word for our own opinions, even though they constantly fail us. God gives us the blessing of money to be generous. We exchange it for a greed that ends up ruining us. God gives us the beauty of marriage and sex only within marriage. And we go outside of that for lust and other things that devastates us and everybody around us. And so we do this too. Samson is a mirror for our lives. So we need to look at that and see how how do we have some of these things in our own lives, even if it's a different context, even if it's not exactly the same, we have these things in our lives as well. But the encouraging thing is you're here listening to this. The encouraging thing is you're here listening to this. We're opening up God's word and we're reading about the story of Samson. And and the hope is, the goal is, is that we learn from Samson and his brokenness so you don't have to go through that same pain. Do you see that? So congratulations, you are here. We're studying God's word and you have the opportunity, no matter what you're exchanging, no matter what you're trading, you have the opportunity in the midst of that to turn away from it, to do a 180, it's called repentance, and to turn to God even now. So you should be encouraged that you're here, that we have the opportunity to read God's word, that we have the opportunity to look back on his life and the lives of others, and we don't have to spiral down like Samson. You have that opportunity this morning. But Samson, unfortunately, that's exactly what he does. He continues to spiral out of control. Fast forward a couple chapters later, he goes on to violate the third part of the Nazarite vow. We're going to go over to chapter 16. So here's what we're doing. You remember when you were in high school or college and you were reading a book and you were just getting into it and going through it and all of a sudden you're up against a deadline and so you just skip to the last chapter? I mean, just hypothetically, I know none of you have ever done that. But just think about other people do that, right? They skip to the last chapter to make a deadline. Well, we're going to do that, right, for time's sake. But you're going to go back. Remember, we make a deal, you're going to go back and read all four chapters, right? we got to work on that, right? Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Go read Judges 13 through 16 right after you leave here. But until then, Judges 16, verse 16, look at that verse with me. We're going to read a chunk here. It says this, and when she... So this is Delilah, the the popular one that you've heard about. This is the third Philistine woman. So in between the first woman and Delilah, there was a prostitute at the beginning of chapter 16. Again, a Philistine girl that Samson has an encounter with, has sex with. And then he moves on to Delilah. And when we come to this part of the story, he has fallen in love with Delilah. And she is trying to trick him into giving up his strength and listen to what it says. It says, she was pressing him hard 
with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. So picture Samson, he's fallen asleep in her lap. And she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So Samson breaks the third part of the Nazarite vow. He gets his hair cut and allows for that to happen through this woman. And it says the Lord leaves him. Maybe that's confusing for you. Like, did, did, the God, did God abandon Samson? Did he just leave him there to dwell in his misery? Now, specifically what it's talking about is, remember, God has gifted Samson with this great strength. And that in this moment, he removes it. And it's not just because his hair was cut. Maybe you grew up, and again, the VeggieTales has something to do with this, but you just think, well, his hair is gone, the magic's gone, right? It's like, it's like a superhero movie. It's like his kryptonite. But, but it goes deeper than that, that what you see in the life of Samson is that over and over, over and over, he exchanges God's mission for his moment. He did that in chapter 14 through his impulsive behavior, now he's doing it through pride. That Samson would have been thinking that, oh, she can take my hair. I'll still be strong. We see it in verse 20. Look at that verse. After his hair is cut, he says, I will go out as at other times, and I'll shake myself free. He forgets that his strength isn't man-made. It's God-given. And for a moment, he thinks, I, I don't have my hair, so what? I'll still take these guys out. I still got this. And what you see in Samson is pride. You see pride. That he forgot that this is a gift from God. And it ends up being devastating. And Samson, oftentimes, if you read the whole four chapters, he thinks he's the exception to the rule. He thinks it won't be devastating for me. And listen, this is a mirror for our lives. How many times do we do this? How many times do you, do you dabble in sin? You dabble in gossip? You dabble in gluttony? Uh, just a little bit of greed? And you think, I, I'm a Christian. I mean, I come to church. I read my Bible every once in a while. But I'm just going to dabble in these sins. I know Scripture says not even a hint of sexual immorality, but I'm just going to dabble over here. And we allow some gray to slip in our lives. And we just dabble here and there. And you, you think about it. Maybe you're thinking about it now. And maybe you're trying to rationalize it. Well, maybe, maybe everybody does this. I mean, it's just gossip. Like, it's just chatter at work. I mean, it's just slander. It's just deception in my job. I mean, everybody does that to get ahead. Like, I'm not as bad as Samson. I mean, come on. Give me a break, Tim. And maybe even now you're, you're rationalizing your sin. And, and you need to know that's, that's pride. 
That's pride. That when we look at God's word and we see it on our, our shelf and all of our copies that we take for granted and our apps on our phone and we're going through life and we experience doubt and we experience sickness and strife and we think, maybe I should read that. But then something comes up, you look at Facebook, you distract yourself and you just, you just move on and you think, I'll be fine. I'll make it through this temptation. I mean, maybe I'll struggle here and there, but I'll be fine. I mean, maybe I'll just put on a show and go through the motions. And maybe, hey, it's Sunday. I'll, I'll dress nice. I'll put on my collared tee or my collared shirt, and I'll come in here, and I'll, and I'll sing hands. And maybe I'll, I'll sing songs, and I'll, maybe I'll even raise my hands. And nobody will know the difference. You need to know that, that is, that's pride. And it is devastating. And you see that in the life of Samson. As we go on to read, he gets his eyes gouged out by the Philistines. He's imprisoned, only to be let out for a few moments to entertain the Philistine leaders. They're basically mocking him. He's between these two pillars. Again, if you've seen the, the movie, you can probably get a visual here. In the midst of his pride, it's led, them, led him to this devastating spot where he is in the capture, the captivity of the Philistines. He's surrounded by all these lords and leaders, and he's standing in between these two pillars. And this is what happens. Chapter 16, verse 28, it says this. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. These are Samson's last moments before his death. And you would think that in the midst of his impulsiveness, in the midst of his pride, that through all this devastation, through this captivity, through his eyes being gouged out, you would think there would be some humility some surrender, that Samson might have cried out to God between these two pillars and said, God, I don't know what to do. I want to trust you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Do what you will. But that's not what Samson does, is it? He said, give me strength. Why? For vengeance. For my two eyes. But listen, as we go on to look at the story Despite Samson's brokenness, even in his last moments, even when he has one chance and you're just reading it like, like you would read a, a fictional novel or watch a movie and you're hoping for that guy to become the hero and you're hoping for some redemptive quality. And, and we, we do that with Samson. And in his last moment, he cries out not for forgiveness, not for surrender, but he cries out for vengeance for his two eyes. But as you look at that picture I want you to see God still uses Samson. God still uses Samson. Despite his brokenness, even in the very end, God redeems it. And God still brings about this rescue, this rescue that he's beginning with the Israelites. And so he gives Samson his strength. And Samson pushes these pillars down, and it brings the house down, literally, right? And 3,000 people die. Philistines, this enemy that, that God's been trying to free them from. And so God begins to bring about rescue even through Samson's rebellion. Do you see that? That he's broken to his core, to his last days. But God is big. And God accomplishes his purpose through Samson. You see, Samson is incredibly flawed. 
but God is immeasurably faithful. That's the case for you and me today. Maybe for you it's not impulsiveness, maybe for you it's not pride, but maybe for you it's something else, and in the midst of that, you need to know that God in his grace intervenes, even if you don't ask, sometimes even when you're not aware of it, God is coming to get you. And he doesn't just come to get you, but he, he brings a rescue in and through you. That that's the kind of big God that we sing to and serve and pray to and proclaim today. That we don't look at Samson and think he was the hero. If you actually read the story, right, you can't. We look at God and say he is the hero, and we see that in Jesus Christ. I, I want you to picture this. So you have Samson, and he's standing in between these two pillars, right? And he's been mocked, and he's been beaten, and he's awaiting sure death. And he cries out for vengeance. Similarly, you have Jesus Christ. His hands are outstretched. He's on a cross, and he's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's awaiting sure death. But different than Samson, he doesn't cry out for vengeance. He cries out for what? Forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. You need to know that as you look at the story of the Bible, that that's the hero. That that's the hero. That Jesus Christ, mocked, beaten, awaiting sure death, doesn't cry out for vengeance, even though he had the right to do so, where Samson did not. He doesn't cry out for vengeance. He cries out for forgiveness. And he doesn't just die for forgiveness, he resurrects to set free. And so listen, I don't know if you've been in church, if you've heard this story, if you've heard other stories in the Old Testament and seen heroes, you need to know that the purpose of today is not to look at Samson's life and think, I need to be more like Samson. Or to look at Samson's life and think, I'm glad I'm not like Samson. That the purpose of today is not to do either one of those things, it's to trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He's the hero of the story. That's the purpose as we look at Samson. That's the purpose as we look at the Bible. And so how do we do that? What does that look like practically? I just want to give you three things as we close. How do we live this? The first thing is this. Know your strengths, but also be aware of your weaknesses. What you see with Samson is he was in tune with his strength. He knew it was strong, right? Over and over again, if you read the story, he manipulates with his strength. He takes what he wants. He kills people. He gets mad and enraged. And just by sheer force, he takes people out. He was very in tune with his strength. But he was completely unaware of his weaknesses, right? Of his pride, of his impulsiveness, of his selfishness, of his weakness for women, he needed some coaching up on that. He never gets it. In fact, people come alongside him and they say, Samson, are you sure you want to go for, for that Philistine woman? And maybe like some of you guys have done before, this has happened. Some, some guys come alongside you and they're like, Dude, are you sure, you sure you want to go with that girl? Like, sure you want to go after that girl? She's not good for you. She doesn't even believe in Jesus. You should go another direction. And, and you just said, sure. And you do it anyway. That's Samson. He's completely unaware of his weaknesses. 
And so listen, as, as we look at our weaknesses today, remember Samson's life's a mirror. What is that for you? Maybe it's totally different from Samson, but what is it for you? I want you to actually consider that. What is it for you? Maybe you need to ask God to reveal that to you and then ask God to set you free from it. Maybe some of you feel like, I want to be free from these things in my life because I can see them just like in Samson's life. They're in the beginning stages now, but they are going to lead to devastation. If you're in that spot, you need to ask God, what are those things? In the name of Jesus, by your spirit, free me from those things so they don't end up ruining your life like they did Samson's. The second thing is surround yourself with godly influence and actually listen. A second part is really important. Surround yourself with godly influence and actually listen. And don't just listen to the people that you want to listen to. People come up to me all the time and they, they tell me a situation like, hey, I'm going to go live with my girlfriend or, hey, I'm thinking about getting a divorce. And, and really, they just want me to affirm that. And then when I don't, they say, okay, and they just go do it anyway, right? doesn't always happen. But that happens a lot, right? Where we, maybe in smaller things, we, we just go get opinions. We go get wise counsel just to say we've done it. And we find one person that agrees with us, and then we come back and we still do it. I know you've never done that. but Find godly influence in your life and actually listen. Like, actually listen. Listen, ask people before you make a decision. We, we do this all the time. We, we make a decision, and then we go and just tell somebody, like, hey, I just, I just did this. I just did something that's probably going to, like, ruin my life and my family's life, but just, I just want to let you guys know, can you pray for me? <laughs> no, ask before. That's wisdom. Wisdom that Samson didn't operate in. Ask other people in your community group. In our church, ask me. Talk to me before you make a decision. Talk to your spouse, right, guys? Before you make a decision, get some godly influence and actually listen and allow it to affect and penetrate your heart. The third thing is use your gifts to serve, not for self. All of you have been given gifts, and they're not man-made. They're God-given, whatever that is for you. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I don't know if I have gifts. I mean, other people probably do. But listen, God has gifted you somewhere. And so we can help walk through a process to see what does that look like for you in a community group with other people. They can help discern that for you. You can take different tests and strengths and all those things. But you can see, how has God gifted me? And then once you see that, you want to begin to start praying and asking other people and talking to others and see, how can I use these to serve and not for self? How can these gifts be wielded for God's glory and not wasted on my vanity? We need to ask that. Imagine if we ask that as a church. Imagine how if all of us ask, God, we have these gifts, we're discerning these gifts. How can you use us collectively for your glory? Imagine what God would do with that in our city and in your life. That's the opportunity that you have today. Listen, Samson is incredibly flawed. But God is immeasurably faithful, and he's that for you, and he's that for me. Will you trust him? Let's do that as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to look at the life of Samson. God, I pray that we wouldn't just elevate him as a legend. We also wouldn't bash him as lame, but we would learn. And so even in this moment, God, I pray that, that people would take some notes and people would, uh, as they're singing, they would begin to think about how big you are and, and how broken we are. And we would come to you for forgiveness. We would sing to you in adoration. 
We would thank you in celebration that you have given us the opportunity to look at your word this morning to learn from Samson's life. That we don't have to experience the pain that he does. That that's your grace to us and to everyone in this room. God, you have appointed this time for everyone and for every person in this room to learn from the life of Samson, what you did in and through and around him. And I pray that we wouldn't miss that. I pray that we wouldn't miss your grace to us this morning. You have us here to listen, to learn, and to apply these truths to our life. God, help us to, to begin to walk out in that. By the grace of God, because of the gospel, through the power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.